Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. Hey, over the weekend kind of active on Twitter, not active like President Trump is active on Twitter, but a couple tweets that, matter of fact, we will be discussing a couple of them during the program today. Um, if you follow me at Jeff Wagner 620, um, you'll, you'll see some of the things we talked about, including a local business guy who says, well, I wouldn't care if my store got looted. Oh, yeah. And a guy who is whining about getting arrested in Kenosha after violating the curfew order, to which my response is, sorry, buddy, if you don't want to get arrested for violating the curfew order, don't violate the curfew order. But you can check those out. We'll be discussing them later on, but you can follow me at Jeff Wagner 620. But before we we jump into the balance of the program, I do want to start by just highlighting something. It's it's something we're, we're rolling out today, and I am very, very proud to be associated with this. It It's the byproduct of a lot of work that's going on behind the scenes here at WTMJ and Good Karma Brands and our partner, Associated Bank. There's something special about hometown teams. They're rooted in our backyard. They give you hope, passion, excitement, and make an impact on the local community. That's why we here at News Radio 620 WTMJ are teaming up with our friends at Associated Bank to help local businesses grow and succeed by giving one deserving business an advertising campaign valued at $50,000. You can enter, businesses can enter at rebuildingwibusiness.com. That's rebuildingwibusiness.com by September 27th. Supporting our communities is a meaningful tradition. Associated Bank and News Radio 620 WTMJ want to be on your team. Enter to win. Find the official contest rules at rebuildingwibusiness.com. That's rebuildingwibusiness.com. Member of the FDIC. The winner gets, again, a $50,000 advertising campaign. And um, we'll be talking a lot more about this. But if, if you, you, know, you are a business person, um, I encourage you to enter. And like I say, they're going to be selecting one one business that's going to get that. This is our way of trying to at least help help businesses get through what we've been doing with all the just all the stuff that's been going on. Okay, let us get started. And as I said during the the tradition the uh, our transition here, I think this is a program that by three o'clock I, I will have done many topics and many of you will have agreed with me on some and disagreed with me on others and that's okay. That's what makes it interesting. Let's get started. Tomorrow, as a matter of fact, I was just looking at the official press release. Um, President Trump is scheduled to come to Kenosha. He will be, I think the thing I'm seeing says the, the arrival at one of the airports where he's flying into is like was supposed to be, I think, 1230 hour time. And then there'll be a procession to Kenosha, I would guess. So President Trump is coming to Kenosha to view the carnage, and it, it is carnage. If you follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Wagner 620 I, I sent out a couple aerial photos that ran in the Kenosha News, and, and, and there, there are parts of Kenosha that seriously look like some of the communities looked after they were bombed in World War II. I mean, it's just that the devastation in parts of that city are just absolutely amazing. So President Trump is going to be coming to Kenosha to inspect the damage 
My hope is that he's going to bring some money along with him. Maybe some, you know, that's typically what happens when people come into town. Uh, maybe some, you know, authorizations for some money to help the community rebuild, et cetera, et cetera. Don't know that for sure. But he is coming to Kenosha for Again, a, a tour of the facilities. He will be making some remarks. Governor Evers has asked him not to come. Uh, Governor Evers says it is our job as elected officials to lead by example and be a calming presence for the people we know are hurting, mourning and trying to cope with trauma. Now is not the time for divisiveness. OK, now let me just stop there. This is the same Tony Evers who a week ago Sunday immediately after the shooting, decided that he was going to jump in on on one side of the shooting, prejudge the matter, and at least in his initial remarks, make no calls at all for people to be calm. But anyhow, he says that now is not the time for divisiveness. Now is not the time for elected officials to ignore armed militants and out-of-state instigators who want to contribute to our anguish. And again, in, in making his remarks, the governor makes no no comment at all about the, the looters, the arsonists, the anarchists who created and caused all the damage in, in Kenosha. But anyhow, Governor Evers says, we, we don't want the president to come. I would ask him not to come. Uh, this, it kind of breaks down on party lines again. You have Democrat state representatives saying, we don't want President Trump to come. You have uh, the Republican congressman, Brian Stile, who represents the area, um, who I think is going to be with the president when they, they make, when they make the tour, et cetera, et cetera. Republicans are basically saying, come. The members of the Kenosha Board of Supervisors, who collectively have been extremely critical of the governor's response or lack of response, in the immediate uh, aftermath of, of the rioting, uh, at least seven members of the Board of Supervisors are saying, hey, we, we want the president to come here. Our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I see no reason why the commander-in-chief should not come to Kenosha. Now, I understand that President Trump is a divisive force, just like Tony Evers is a divisive force, just like everybody sees things through the prism of, of politics. At the same time, he is, at least until next January, the president of the United States. You had a great deal of unrest, and just like I had no beef at all with Governor Evers appearing in Kenosha last Thursday. Matter of fact, I thought he should have been in Kenosha on Monday to see what had happened and maybe kind of ask some questions about how did stuff get so out of control. Just like I had no problem with him showing up even belatedly in Kenosha, I have no problem with the President of the United States showing up to, again, inspect what went on. Hopefully, the president will offer a message of unity. I don't know what he's going to say, and hopefully he'll bring some money with him. But I have no problem at all with the president showing up. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should President Trump take Tony Evers' advice and stay away from Kenosha? 855-616-1620. My response would be, no, you're the president of the United States. This is clearly a situation where you had widespread damage. You, you had destruction. I think the president has the right to show up and to inspect it and to offer his thoughts. Hopefully those thoughts will be one of unity. But this is politics 
on both sides of the aisle, but the man is president, and I have no issue with him showing up. We discuss in just a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. A lot of feedback already. Good. I don't care if you're a Democrat or a Republican. The governor has already showed his hand, but he has no intentions of helping Kenosha financially or morally. Maybe if the federal government comes in to look at the devastation, these businesses can get federal assistance to rebuild our city. Otherwise, we can just expect our property taxes to double, our sales taxes to double or triple to afford all the damage that was caused during the rioting. I'm tired of political arguments. This is just common sense. 855-616-1620. Let's start with uh, Curly in Germantown. You're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, how you doing? I'm well, thank you. Okay, should the president uh, change his plans and not come to Kenosha? No, I think he should come. It's a perfect time to come. He got all the uh, National Guard troops that he sent here to help out with the riots and got to help with the security. And I know the mayor is not happy about uh, the president coming, but the mayor is smart. He should hit up the president for some help with the uh, rebuilding of all the stuff that the uh, rioters crashed in the city of uh, Kenosha. If the mayor were smart, he would be there to greet the president when the president lands, wherever the president is going to land, and he would accompany the president, show him the areas that were destroyed, and see if he can get a commitment from the president to give some federal dollars to help rebuild Kenosha. I, I, exactly. I mean, it, I, look, no I, I, about it. I mean, th- now thanks for calling. I mean, I, I understand that, that there's politics and politics. I, I get that. But, but you know what? If this were Barack Obama, and a couple people are making this point, after, like, like hurricanes hit, like one, one of my, one of our texters is making the point that, you know, Chris Christie, when Hurricane Sandy hit New Jersey, Chris Christie, you know, died the wool Republican, he welcomed Barack Obama coming to, you know, New Jersey to inspect the damage that the hurricane had done. Now, I get that this is a different sort of situation than that, but again, isn't there a time when you, you need to let like politics stop at the waterfront and, and say, okay, look, clearly there's been a lot of destruction which has been done. Let's let the president come and inspect this. Let's see if he's going to bring some money along with him, and, and let's see what his remarks are instead of simply, okay, no, we 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 don't want him here. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. John on the northwest side. John, you're on WTMJ. John. John. Okay, lost John there. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Greg in Waukesha. Greg, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. How you doing? Good. What do you think? I think the president should come, absolutely. And uh, as a former Democrat, as of uh, a couple weeks ago because of Evers, um, I don't even know what that party is anymore. Um, somebody needs to come in and uh, calm things down and... and Give uh, the people of Kenosha some confidence uh, mm-hmm. uh, to live there and comfort them. For God's sakes, it's been well, over two weeks. Well, and I, I mean, th- thanks for calling. I get look. I guess th- this is it. I, and I, I hope. All right, and I, I hope the president, when he comes in, recognizes that that. That, that you do want to be a calming force. I, I think, for example, I think Tony Evers blew, you know, a huge chance. I, I think he's mishandled this on many occasions. Matter of fact, I was talking to some people who were part of the emergency response and they're, they're, 
early on in the week, and they're just shaking their heads at, at, at the way Evers handled this. Um, but, you know, Evers had a chance to try to calm things down early on. He made the decision not to do that. You know, he, he made the decision that he was going to, figuratively speaking, cast his lot with, with the protesters. And the, the, the calls for, instead of, at least at the beginning, the attempts to, there, there was an attempt to let's calm down, let's let this process work. It was, again, the, denouncing the, the shooting. And, and I, I get where he was coming from from that perspective. But as a governor, you would have hoped that there was a broader sense of leadership. Similarly, I, I hope the president, when he comes to Kenosha, I, I hope there is a more calming tone that, that's out there. But you know what? I, I think... From law enforcement's perspective, from the perspective of the National Guard, from the perspective of the people. I, again, I, I was talking to somebody who was on the scene, and I, 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 I'm not going to identify who this person was, but was on the scene when the riots started on, on Sunday and Monday. And this person was telling me the, the stories about how, you know, the, the National Guardsmen and the Kenosha troops, the Kenosha police, the, the, there were these protesters that showed up. The, the target of choice is apparently frozen water bottles. And they, they were the, the National Guardsmen and the Kenosha police were like protecting one of the buildings behind a chain link fence. They were talking about how the, these protesters just throw in frozen bottles of water and bricks over the chain link fence in an effort to try to injure the, the police. And the police really were kind of hamstrung in as to what their response would be. The National Guards people, at least in the beginning, ha- had been specifically kind of instructed, don't, don't engage. And so these people were just targets of this type of, of violence. One officer, I'm told, was injured when they were also throwing fireworks at, at these people. And one was injured when some... I don't know if it was a firecracker or whatever, somehow in some sort of weird way ended up getting under the guy's mask and and exploding. I mean, this this was just completely out of control. And I I think it would be good for somebody to come on down and and say to the, the men and women of law enforcement and the National Guard, we appreciate what you have been doing over the course of the last week to try to maintain order. And by the way, you can do that without wading into the issue as to whether or not the shooting was justified or whether or not charges need to be brought or things like that. You can do that without taking a side on the whole social justice issues that are out there. You can simply say that it does not matter, you know, how you feel about this issue or that issue, that, you know, we're not going to allow the city to be burned down by agitators. And at the same time, and this is where maybe some of you disagree, we're going to talk about this more later on the program. I, I think the president could also use this as an opportunity, hopefully, to discourage the kind of self-help you saw, where these self-proclaimed citizen militias decide to show up and do what law enforcement should be doing, and that leads to, like, the shootings and things like that, which is unacceptable as well. But, yeah, the president is the commander-in-chief. Until next January, he's the president of this country. I think he has every right to show up. And, uh, again, I, I'm hoping the message is one of uh, of calming I, that's the. This is what the opportunity has presented itself to be, in fact, presidential. Like I say, I hope he brings a bunch of money. Our text line is just exploding on this. Um, you know, uh, Jeff, the the president should come, and um, you know, with with uh, the president should come with no money. Evers and the Kenosha Bayer, let it happen. Let that let that them get the money from the rioters. Now, I, I mean, look, that that's. 
That's not the case. I think what needs to happen is you need to figure out how to rebuild Kenosha. And if if there's federal money around, I hope the president brings it. My heart goes out to the businesses. There were over 30 businesses destroyed as a result of arson. That's not even talking about the businesses that were vandalized. And unfortunately, at least from the governor and from some people, there hasn't been as much concern about that as there have been about other issues. And by the way, I get that there's other legitimate issues that, that are out there. But as a starting point, I think whether it's Portland or Seattle or Chicago or Kenosha, we we have to all come together and say destruction, violence, arson, looting, unacceptable. And, And, yeah, I think if the president of the United States wants to come and convey hopefully a message similar to that, he should be more than welcome. And you know what? Governor Evers should meet him. Governor Evers should show up. He should shake his hand. The mayor should be there. They should tour the areas that are, in fact, destroyed. Governor Evers should be saying, Mr. President, we could really use some federal money to help these businesses that were destroyed through absolutely no fault of their own. That would be, well, that would be an appropriate thing to do. Will Tony Evers be there? Won't be holding my breath. But should President Trump come? Yes, I think he should come. And I think um, hopefully he'll bring a positive message. Back with more in just a minute. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Actually, the best argument I think that you could make against President Trump not coming to Kenosha, and and I I think he's the president. He has every right to to show up, and I I think hopefully he'll bring some money along with him. The, The best argument you can make is that right now, or at least the earlier part of last week, and maybe to an extent now still, you, you have – Kenosha is like a giant bathtub, and somebody has now pulled, pulled the plug and water is pouring out, and, and you, have, you have crazies from all over the country that are kind of like circling the, the drain, heading into Kenosha. And this isn't polit- – this isn't talking about left or right, but, but you have you, – just look at the number of arrests. They announced the number of arrests that they made, like 175, which candidly strikes me as being incredibly low. I think part of it was because in the early stages of the rioting, uh, police were just overwhelmed. The National Guard's mission was unclear. And, and so a lot of people were engaged, able to engage in arson and things like that and actually kind of get away from it with it. But, but they said that there were arrests of people from 44 different cities. 44 cities other than Kenosha. So, I mean, what what you had is you you clearly had outside agitators pouring into Kenosha. And again, this on on both sides. All right. And I think maybe the best argument you could make against President Trump showing up is that this is just going to be further impetus for for people to outside agitators to sort of, you know, pour in with the idea of causing trouble. And there's already some reports out there that that's precisely what happened. Some of the the militant groups um, who've been responsible for some of the destruction and the carnage in Seattle and in Portland, et cetera, are are planning or have already arrived in Kenosha with the idea that, okay, we're going to use President Trump's visit as an excuse to try to ratchet stuff up again. You know, nevertheless, I, I think as the president, you have the right to go everywhere. But but for everybody who was wondering, you know, what's going on in Kenosha, you just look at these arrest numbers, the vast majority of people getting arrested. I mean, 44 different cities. That tells me you had all sorts of people from outside the area coming to Kenosha with the idea that we're going to use 
we're going to use the the police shooting as an excuse to try to promote whatever our agenda is. All right. Let us switch gears. I think if you look up the definition of hot mess in the dictionary, you will see a picture of Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers. I, I, I believe that. Having said that, though, as I frequently say on this program, elections have consequences. I am not a fan. I've, I've been consistent with this over the 22 years that I have been on this on WTMJ. Absence, misfeasance, or malfeasance, like think the Milwaukee County pension scandal 20-some years ago. Absent misfeasance or malfeasance, I think elections have consequences. And simply because you disagree with an elected official's policies, that is not a basis for bringing a recall action. Just because nine, ten years ago, people were appalled, some people, that Governor Walker tried to implement and was successful in implementing Act 10, I I think the the recall hissy fit was inappropriate. Elections have consequences. If you didn't like Act 10, I think the appropriate response to us going to be, all right, we're we're going to mobilize. And what we're going to do is we're going to try to do everything we can to unelect to defeat Governor Walker in 2014 because we don't like Act 10. That would have been the appropriate response. I thought the recall was inappropriate. There are many things that people can legitimately point to about you know Tony Evers over the first two years of his term and, and, and have objections to. And I, I understand where the Marquette University poll, for example, shows his approval rating. My sense is he's going to be a one-term governor. I, and I, I think November, in some respects, November of 2022, from a political perspective, probably can't come soon enough. But nevertheless... He won in November of uh, he won in November of 2018. It's a four-year term. You can disagree with his policies. You can think he's just plain wrong on a lot of things. But is it misfeasance? Is it malfeasance? No. It, it's just Evers being Evers. I, I go through that because there has been an effort started by some some citizens to recall the governor. I think, and again, I understand maybe you're going to disagree with me on this, but I think this is a bad idea on a lot of reasons, and I think the process, it should be ended as quickly as possible. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. That is not an endorsement of the Evers administration. It is, however, a recognition that elections have consequences. On top of that... I mean, here, here's here's the deal. All right, first of all, to start a recall, to get a recall election, you need 670,000 signatures. Absent organized support from the state Republican Party and lots of big donors, you're not going to get 670,000 signatures. And, and, and even... Even then, you might have trouble doing it because I think there's a lot of conservatives and a lot of Republicans who who understand that argument, who opposed the recall of Walker 10 years ago because elections have consequences. Okay, that that's number one. I don't think you're going to be able to get 670,000 signatures. Number two, Wisconsin has a very – let me just give you the, the practical realities of this too. Wisconsin has a very quirky campaign finance law. 
typically speaking, the amount of money that you can collect, for example, a, a governor, I think it's limited to $10,000, a donation per an election cycle. All right. If there is a recall under Wisconsin law, from the moment that recall uh, is, is filed, the, the committee is formed and it's filed, you the, the fundraising limits don't apply. You can raise unlimited amounts of money to, quote unquote, fight the recall. So what's what's happened in an election season where you, you've got you've got okay in November they're going to be electing a president so you've you've got that issue that's on there Wisconsin is a battleground state you have I think Wisconsin has a, a very uh, there, there's a very good potential I'm not going to say it's it's a probability but there's a good potential that the Wisconsin they might pick up enough seats in the assembly Republicans might pick up enough seats in the assembly and the Senate to have a veto proof majority so you're, you're concentrating on the state races you've got the presidential race you've got now the recall of Evers at this point in time would be at best a distraction but more importantly it gives Tony Evers the opportunity to engage in unlimited fundraising. Now, again, there's some limits on what you can do with that money. But, all right, do, do we really want to do that for what, to me, is just tilting at windmills? And when I say this, it has, again, it has nothing to do with an endorsement of the Evers administration or policies or whether I think he should be reelected in 2022. It is just a reflection that elections have consequences. And yes, you can disagree with him on his approach to COVID-19. You can disagree with him on his safer at home orders. You can disagree with his handling or his lack of handling of what happened in Kenosha. But I think the recall effort is misguided. I think it will not succeed, number one, and it will backfire, number two. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Jeff, absolutely, this needs to be stopped. It will take too long, and by then it will be 2022. The guy, uh, let the guy be, getting voted out in 2022. I think he's a train wreck. Okay, by the way, that's not how you have 60 days to try to accumulate 670,000 signatures. So that meter is running right now. Now, keep in mind what's going to be going on over the course of the next two months. You're going to have the presidential campaign. You're going to have an intense battle for a veto-proof majority in the state assembly and the state senate. To me, a, a a recall election going on over here it is a distraction, um, and and I mean six hundred seventy thousand signatures is an awful lot of of signatures. On top of that, again, um, I, I said ten thousand dollars in an election cycle. It, it's ten thousand dollars to the governor. You can also donate ten thousand dollars to the lieutenant governor. So that's like twenty thousand dollars. Those are the campaign finance limits under Wisconsin law. Those limits are suspended during the first part of a recall campaign, and so that means that Evers and Barnes can collect as much money as they're able to persuade donors to give, at least in the near term. So you've just kind of like blown out those campaign finance limits as well for, and it, and it doesn't matter, you don't have to give that money back if, if the recall effort fizzles, like I think is inevitable. Bigger picture, though, again, I'm just... I supported the Milwaukee count, the recalls in Milwaukee County 20 years ago during the pension scandal. Cause to me, that was misfeasance. That was malfeasance. I, I didn't support the Walker recall in part because I agreed with Act 10. But secondly, because again, as I keep saying, elections have consequences. You do not, in my opinion, recall people based on policy disagreements. 
What you do is you work to vote them out the next time, and if the majority of people are with you, that's what they do. Okay, 855-616-1620. Let's start with Christina in Hartford. Christina, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. I wanted to make a couple quick points. Um, One, I have always been against recall elections because I do believe that everybody's vote matters. Um, The tipping point for me um, was when Kenosha um, burned. I do not want to see that come to my state of Wisconsin. I don't want to see it at all, and I wanted to see it squelched. So I have joined the recall petition movement, and um, myself and my boyfriend, we collected 900 signatures out in the burbs this weekend. We're very proud of that. And I just want to make one other point. I listen to you with respect, and I listen to other people who are well-informed with respect, um, but you were wrong about Trump, and um, I just think that you guys are wrong about this. There are a lot of people who are interested. I don't think we're going to be distracting from the November election because these are the same people who are just as fired up about Trump as who are disgusted with what is happening in this state. Well, I guess my question to you, Christina, let, let's talk about if elections do in fact matter, and and I believe me, I, I understand why there's all sorts of different policy things and reasons you could look at Tony Evers and, like I say, say that the guy's a hot mess. But at the same time, he he won the election. Is is a recall an appropriate weapon to use, whether it's coming from the left or coming from the right, simply because? You disagree with the, the different things he's doing, which candidly were probably predictable when he got elected in the first place. And and I would agree with you 100 percent on that, because, you know, mass mandate, I don't approve of, you know, doing things with, you know, stay safer at home. I don't approve of. But I sat by quietly. But when people are losing their businesses and their lives, and that threat has entered our state and could spread like wildfire, Mm -hmm. that is not a policy matter. That is a safety issue. That is people's livelihoods and their lives. And that is where I draw the line. When you look at the polls, and again, I, you know, I, I understand that some people don't believe polls. His his approval rating is above fifty percent. I think it was like fifty six or fifty seven percent. Now that's basically, you know, driven a lot by COVID, and that's before all the Kenosha stuff happened. I mean, as a practical matter, if you had an election, I don't know, four months from now, do you think Evers would lose? Um, I do. I, you know, when. When Walker lost the recall election, and I'm not an expert. Well, Walker won. Um, really, Walker won the recall election. Yeah, I, yeah, I apologize. Right. Yeah. yeah when it. when he when that got turned around, um, but when he lost in yeah. the next election, he yep. got elected. Yes, that is what I meant to refer to. Um, I really felt it was complacency on the Republican side. We were complacent, and a lot of people do not like to hear that. And I think um, that we are a lot more fired up now. We are, you know, behind Trump, and we see I did not vote for Trump, um, and now I am, you know, I'm out there tooting the horn for him. Mm-hmm. And I have never been so more politically involved in my entire life than I have in the last four or five months. Well, if you're out um, there over the weekend uh, and you've you collected almost a thousand recall signatures, you you are you are definitely an activist. There's no question about that. <laughs> Definitely not alone. We might be, you know, we might not be on the political front lines, but we are not alone. This is, you know, pay attention. I'm not, this is not directed towards you, but to everybody. Pay attention. Trump came, Trump rose to the top because people weren't looking in the right places as 
you know, to the numbers and everything. And I'm telling you, things change. Things mm-hmm. have changed as to how things are getting done. And people are tired of it. And the people that I surround myself with, and I, I go, and it's just amazing how many people are supporting Trump. And I try to look for the Biden thing, too, and I know this is not Trump-Biden, but they go hand in hand. And people want the good life back. We want to support our businesses and our law enforcement. And we just want the people to back us who do that. Thanks for the call, Christina. I appreciate it. And I, I look, I, I get your activism and, and I get your passion. And I certainly understand, you know, where you're coming from when, when you talk about your, your, your lack of approval of the job the governor is doing. I, I, again, I, I go back though to the notion of uh, elections have consequences. Is it because Republicans were complacent? Yeah, I, I think it, it was. There was an element of that. I think the reason Walker lost in 2018 to Tony Evers was, I think in part it was it was Republican complacency. It was Democrats. It didn't, it didn't matter whether it was Tony Evers or, or whoever. It could have been any name on the ballot. It was Democrats, particularly Democrats in, in Dane County, who just, they hated Donald Trump and they wanted to send a quote unquote message against Trump. And, and so they, they couldn't vote against Trump in 2018. So what they did is they ran and they voted against Walker in 2018. And by voting against Walker, you ended up having to vote for Tony Evers. I, again, I, I go back to this note, though, saying I think, see, recalls, and recalls have been used by the left and the right. I, I think the, the the recall statute, and I've been making this argument for a long time, I, I think they really need to take a hard look at it. I think it ends up getting misused. Now, people are texting me, I'll sign the petition, you know, where do I have to go? And I, I, I understand that people are going to sign the petition. Keep in mind, though, the consequences of this is that you essentially allow unlimited financing, un, unlimited fundraising, by Evers and by Evers and Mandela Barnes, while this thing is going on, Jeff, um, somebody saying, "Why well, it looks to me like this is payback." Look at what the Democrats did to Trump, trying to impeach him. Evers needs to go. Well, uh, again, this isn't a defense of Tony Evers; it is more of defense of the process. They need six hundred and seventy thousand signatures. I think that's a really, really tough get. Maybe if Christina's right, if there's an army of people that are out there and they're motivated and, and people are getting a thousand signatures in a couple of days, maybe I'll be wrong and maybe they'll have 670,000 pe- signatures in a couple of weeks. I, I think that's a tough get. More importantly, I, I think from a process perspective, I think recalls are overused. And candidly, I continue to believe that I think people who don't like Tony Evers would be better off like setting their sights on 2022, and to the extent you want to be politically motivated right now, Lord knows there's a lot of stuff you can concentrate your time on between now and November. This is Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620 is a number. Jeff, recall should be used for malpractice, not for politics. Again, my, my point is malfeasance, misfeasance. You, you want to find an example of what I think was the perfect cause for, you know, recalls. It was the recall that was launched, you know, going on 20 years ago now in, in Milwaukee County after the Milwaukee County Board with the blessing of the county executive came up with this, what we're calling the Milwaukee County pension scandal that, 
you know, has essentially put the county behind the financial eight ball for the better part of the last two decades and served to enrich public officials beyond the dream of avarice. You know, that's that that was the appropriate situation for a recall. Act 10 was not. And I'm going to argue that, at least in my opinion, even if you can legally start a recall petition simply because you disagree with Tony Evers on policy, and Lord knows, I understand that. I don't think that that's that is appropriate. Here's a text, Jeff. A recall at this point would be a waste of time. You vote him out at the next election. And I don't like Tony Evers. Jeff, I'm from Kenosha. I could not be more against Tony Evers, but I agree with you. Um, look, but besides that, who would end up running? Well, I'm sure there'd be no shortage of people who want to run. But again, the time, in my opinion, to run is in 2022. Jeff, even if I agree that this is a good idea, I don't know why I would sign a petition and be permanently blackballed for life from potential employers and colleagues. Well, again, if you sign a recall petition, that is public. All right, we're going to move on. In just a couple minutes, right after the news, it is when it... If if a lot of industries are hurting because of COVID, there is one industry that is going just absolutely gangbusters. I'm going to give you the latest numbers, and then we're going to talk about why this might be and what the future looks like. I'll explain in just a couple minutes. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. You know, I, I, doing what I do for a living, I, I frequently come across people who have made comments that I consider to be stupid, clueless, and tone deaf. And and if I if I indexed and called out every person that made a comment that I consider to be stupid, clueless, and tone deaf, I I, I, I that's how I'd spend all my time. I wouldn't have any time for golf, for reading books, or anything like that. So a lot of times I just kind of roll my eyes and let stuff go. Having said that. Over the weekend, there was a comment which, I, again, it's one of the most stupid, clueless, and tone-deaf comments that, that I've heard in a long time. And I, I singled it out on, on Twitter. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 I've got a link to this story. Bill Penzi is the owner of a, a series of kind of like high-end spice shops. He's got about a dozen across the country. He is a, a long-time liberal activist who uses his, his newsletters to uh, largely trash Republicans in Wisconsin and nationwide. He, I think he's kind of expresses opinion. He believes like Donald Trump is like the Antichrist and things like that. And, and he says a lot of inflammatory things, especially given the fact that lots of his customers um, and I'll get to this in a minute, are, are Republicans. But, but that's okay. He holds conservatives and Republicans in general in disdain, and that's all right. He's got, it's, it's right to do that. And if he chooses to use his newsletter to go out and say things like that, it's, it's fine. And so I, I, I rarely comment on this, but there was a story in the Journal Sentinel over the weekend that, that caught my attention. Now, the background, you gotta understand this. Penzi Spices, like I say, there's about a dozen locations across the country. The vast majority, not all, but most all, are in suburban locations. I mean, it's it's not like he's selling spices in high crime areas as a general rule of inner cities across the country. He's got locations in Brookfield and in Cedarburg 
and in Delafield and in Appleton and in Whitefish Bay and in Johnson Creek. So again, and there's other places as well. But it, it, again, these it's not like his businesses are set up in urban areas where they are likely to be damaged by a riot. He's got a shop in Kenosha, but the shop in Kenosha is is out by the freeway. Again, a, a suburban sort of location. It, it's not like it's in the heart of downtown. So Bill Penzi's store was not in any sort of danger of being looted during, you know, all the unrest in Kenosha last week. So, all right, here, here's the way the story reads in the Journal Sentinel in part. While Penzi's Spices store in Kenosha was not damaged during violent protests in the city, again, because it's not in the city, it, it's out by the, the freeway, its CEO wants to, quote, loot his own store. Bill Penzi wrote to customers of his Wauwatosa-based chain of spice shops that he supports the mission behind the protests in Kenosha in response to the police officer shooting of Jacob Black in the back seven times at close range. Quote, somebody wrote to say that you would be singing a different tune if it was your store being looted, Penzi wrote in the email. I'm by no means perfect, but seriously, no, I wouldn't. Human life means everything, stuff not so much. Penzi then asked, what if we looted our own store? What if we took a snapshot of our Kenosha store's inventory tonight, simply gave away exactly that amount of inventory in the coming weeks? So what he says is we're going to quote-unquote loot our own store. We're going to take a picture and figure out what the inventory of our store is as of Friday, and then we're going to give that away. So, okay, I, I don't have a problem. I guess the implication is I, I don't I don't have a problem with, with looting. I mean, if, if our stores were looted, that would be okay. We're going to give away like one day's worth of inventory. Isn't that wonderful? I sent this on Twitter. Penzi implies he would be okay if his stores were looted. That's easy to say with locations including Brookfield, Cedarburg, Whitefish Bay, Delafield, Johnson Creek, and Appleton. In other words, stores that aren't, as a matter of fact, going to be looted. Owners of the 30 businesses destroyed in Kenosha this week may, in fact, disagree. And, and again, I look, I, I, politics aside, look, I appreciate it's really easy to say, no, I, I wouldn't be singing a different story if my store was looted. Um, human life means everything. Stuff, not so much. OK, wait, wait a second. 30 businesses destroyed in Kenosha this week. If you look at the aerial photographs of parts of Kenosha, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, it, it does. It looks like a, a city in Germany after the bombs fell in World War II. You, you have you have 30 stores that had burned out. You have people that do not have the wherewithal to have, say, 14 suburban locations across the country selling spices, but rather these are small businesses that they have, they've invested their entire life in, in an effort to try to make a go of it. And, and now those stores have been looted, they have been burned, they have been destroyed, and there's a huge question about, you know, are you going to be able to rebuild? Should you even rebuild? Because if you do, in fact, rebuild, how do you know that this is not going to happen again? So, again, for, for somebody to, you know, suggest that, oh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm okay with this, and I wouldn't mind if they looted my stores, and here, I'm going to give away a day's worth of inventory. Now, that, that's fine. Okay, give away a day's worth of inventory. That, that, that's, that, that's great. But, when, that, that's, that, talking about that, when, you know, again, you run 14 businesses in mostly suburban, safe locations across the country, you know, just to me shows this incredibly tone-deaf, 
cluelessness to what the business people whose businesses have essentially been destroyed are, are ending up, you know, going through. You know, and, and by the way, giving away a day's worth of inventory is nothing compared to having your windows all broken out, your fixtures destroyed, and then having your 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 place set on on fire. And again, if you're if you're a successful business guy and you're making all sorts of profits and you've got all sorts of businesses that are out, you know, branches that are or shops or franchises or whatever other businesses that are generating all sorts of revenue, that's great. But if you're that that small business owner who owns the cell phone store that's now just been been looted or or owns the I don't know the you know, fill in the blank and and now your place has been burned down, okay, that's that's great. That this. There is no comparison for Bill Penzi saying, gee, I, I wouldn't mind this at all. And, and here, you know, we'll loot our store for a day. And the anguish that's happened to the small mom and pop businesses that have, in fact, you know, been destroyed by this. And I guess it's just aggravating to see that, okay, well, here, I, I, I wouldn't mind. Well, yeah, if, if all his stores were looted and burned and destroyed and his business um, was not able to operate, he might be a little bit more sympathetic to all those people in Kenosha whose livelihoods have been absolutely destroyed a- as well. And no, I wouldn't mind if I wouldn't mind if my store was looted because at the end of the day, it's it's just stuff. Well, okay, easy, like I say, to say. But you want to talk about stupid, cluelessness, and incredibly tone deaf? This, this is one. Now, I guess, is he being applauded for donating a day's worth of inventory? That That's fine. But, okay, maybe what you want to do is maybe take a year's worth of profits and help those people in Kenosha rebuild their businesses. Then I'll take you a little bit more seriously. When I come back... It's one, it is one industry that, well, sales are going gangbusters. I will explain and we'll talk about why. Stick around. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, group producing the show today and always. I, I was teasing that. I said it's an industry that's just been, been off the charts as far as success. And you immediately jumped in and, and had your own guest. Your guest was? Alcohol. Alcohol sales. Well, actually, that, that's not what I want to talk about. But, yes, you that's it. It's, it's interesting. I have a, a couple friends who are like booze distributors. And and it's really a tale of two, two stories, though, because retail sales of alcohol through the roof, liquor stores, grocery stores that sell alcohol, absolutely, because people – are, are drinking, but but they're also drinking at home because and, and see this is the flip side. If you're like a booze distributor, the the restaurant aspect of the business that's just dropped off the that just fallen off the cliff. So if you're a distributor that sells to restaurants and then sells to liquor stores and sells to grocery stores, well, part of the business booming. Other parts it's like non-existent because you know people aren't. People aren't going out to eat. The restaurants don't need the liquor. But, yeah, you talk to liquor store owners or, like, people that run the liquor. I have a couple of friends who are liquor store owners. They, they, they can't keep stuff in stock. Yeah, they're doing, they're doing just fine. They're, they're doing just absolutely fine. But, again, the, the restaurants that make all their money selling booze, they're, they're, a lot of them are still shut down. They're not doing it. And, again, the distributors are kind of in the middle depending on where the business is. But in any event, that wasn't a bad guess. No, it, it's It's guns. The numbers of people buying guns, and this is, by the way, the numbers I'm about to give you 
are through July. So they don't include August. So this, what, what I'm going to be talking about now, it doesn't include the, the continued upres, uh, uprisings in, in Portland. It doesn't include all the stuff that's going on in Chicago and, and at least regionally doesn't include stuff that's happened in Kenosha. All right. Here are the deals in, in July of 2020, which is the last month I have numbers for because, you know, August ends t- today. Um, more than 3.6 million Firearm background checks were conducted by the FBI. So last month, 3.6 million background checks. So this is, I mean, it's a it's a good indicator of of people buying guns because you have to go through that background check. That's the third highest month on record since the FBI began keeping statistics in 1998. So so over the course of, of 22 years. 22 years, last month was the third highest month. The only two months that were higher were in June of this year, 3.9 million checks. So 3.9 million background checks in June, 3.6 million in July, and in March, where you started to have the COVID shutdowns, 3.7 million. So in 22 years, the, the, the biggest three months for gun sales were June of this year, March of this year, and July of this year. And my guess, just a guess, my guess is the number of gun sales in August will blow those months away. You know, I mean, my guess is if 3.9 million was the high in June, you're, you're going to see over 4 million in, in August as more and more people decide that they're going to buy guns. And by the way, this, if you look at where these checks are coming from, it's not just all the suburbs. As a matter of fact, a lot of the sales are in urban areas as people of, of all races become concerned that law enforcement isn't able to keep order. And so people are, are running out and, and they're buying guns. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Have you considered, are you considering, or have you actually gone out and purchased a firearm in, say, the, the last six months? If you were a gun owner, have you purchased more firearms, you know, in the in the last six months? My sense is that this, I, I think, you know, even before what's been happening over the last few weeks, I think more and more people, including lots of people who would never consider, would never really thought about owning a firearm in the past, have now decided, you, you know what, I, I think... I think I need one to keep it around the house. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, buying an AR-15 and wandering around the streets of Kenosha trying to protect businesses. But I am talking about that conscious decision being made as you look on a daily basis about, again, the, the violence that comes in the aftermath of some of these these protests and people saying, you know what, I, I need a gun to protect myself. I need a gun to protect my family. And you're seeing people in record numbers starting to make that position. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Have you purchased a gun recently? Are you considering purchasing a gun recently? And if so, what is the motivating factor? We discuss in just a moment. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, just to give you some perspective on this. That the increase in gun sales from July of 2019 to, to last month, 
up 122%. Uh, surveys as a 40% of first time buyers are women. Um, let's see, sales to black Americans up 58.2% for the first six months of this year, the largest increase for any, um, any demographic group. Let's start with, let's see, Marika in Milwaukee. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure. So this is sort of twofold. Um, my fiancé works in the beverage in- industry, and um, he's been furloughed, uh, to your previous point, um, and uh, due to, obviously, COVID. Right. Um, but to the gun point, um, he surprisingly one day just went out and bought a gun, especially when all the protests were going on in downtown Milwaukee because of our location. And he just felt that it would keep us safer for some reason, although we are completely anti-gun or were anti-gun. Well, how did you feel Um, about that? Okay, how did you feel about it when your fiancé shows up with a – did he buy a handgun? Was that what it was? Yes. Okay, Mm -hmm. so how how do you feel about your show? Your fiancé shows up one day, hey, look what I went. I went out and bought a handgun. How did you feel about that? Uh, I was a little skeptical. Then we went to a, a, a range, a shooting range, and I learned how to use it safely. And I, I still am a little bit not really comfortable with it. But um, he feels like we're a little bit safer now, just given our current um, circumstances. Mm-hmm. And, are, and how do you feel about so, it? Um, I'm still a little okay. <laughs> little uneasy. All right. okay. <laughs> I don't know if I would be very comfortable with just going and grabbing and using it by any means. Um, right. Or so, yeah. Now, thanks for the perspective. I appreciate it. Uh, Jeff, I recently, here's a couple of texts. I recently bought a Glock, which is a 9mm pistol, and some body armor. I did it due to the unrest. Jeff, I've, I've been thinking about getting concealed carry trained. Live in Ozaki County. However, um, what caught my, num- my ear was the number of background checks. Yes, Jeff, I'm considering it for two reasons. First, a riot may soon come to my neighborhood, and... Um, you know, too, I am concerned that um, at least some politicians might talk about uh, confiscation of firearms. Uh, let's see, Jeff, I never would have thought I would say this, but I have considered it. I'm single. I'm a middle-aged woman. I think it is getting scary out there. And again, the, the dynamics, if you look at if you look at the makeup of this, it is, um, what were the numbers here? 40% of first-time buyers are, are now women. Jeff, I have all the guns I need, but I purchased a lot more ammo in the last six months. Jeff, I um Jeff, I bought myself a gun to protect um my home. Um okay. Let's see. Jeff, I have a pistol and a shotgun for the house. I just got my concealed carry license after taking the class. I don't think I'll carry much. It feels that more can go wrong than being helpful. Right, et et cetera, et cetera. But they did buy one. All right, we're going to continue this after the break for one more segment. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Have you considered buying a firearm? Have you actually bought a firearm? Like I say, my guess is... When the numbers come in for August, you are going to see an all-time record number of background checks because I think more and more people are just sitting there saying, look, I, I don't know what's going on in this world, and I want to be able to protect my home in case the worst happens. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
Here's a text. Jeff, I'm a 74-year-old woman who has not shot a firearm since I did trap shooting in my teens. Although I'm in an area that I feel is safe, I have thought in the past several months that maybe a small firearm that I could easily manage would be a good idea. I have never considered it before. Good afternoon, Jeff. I purchased a pistol for the first time in my life earlier this year. My intention was to take uh, safety courses. However, to coronavirus, I have not been able to take the class. The gun is sitting in its original box and will not be taken out until such time as I have learned how to use it properly. It just makes sense. Again, I think that's... You know, that's a that's a key. Jeff, I am a conservative who's never really been pro-gun, but I am definitely considering purchasing a 9mm pistol. My biggest issue is personal safety, etc. I was just visiting my son in Milwaukee. His roommate had a 9mm sitting on the counter. Two years ago, I would have been absolutely concerned about that, and now somehow it made me feel better slash safer for both of them. Jeff, if you buy a 9mm, good luck, good luck finding ammo. They have been out in the store and online for months. Yeah, a couple people are making the point that if, if background checks actually go down in August, it's not because there's not demand. It's because um, of, of inventory, not just of firearms, but also of, of ammunition. Let's talk to Tom in Hartford. Uh, Tom, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hi, Jeff. Hi, Tom. Uh, well, I, I have three guns myself right now, but I'm looking towards another one, and also I have a brother-in-law that uh, never was interested in guns, but he just told me the other day, he says, uh, Tom, I think I'm going to uh, get one myself just to protect his family, and that's what I want to do, protect my family. And it's just getting too shaky out there. I, I don't know what's going to happen. Hopefully for the good, but I don't know what the way it goes with the, with the police and everything. I don't know. Well, I mean, I think thanks. I mean, I think that's one of the things that, that that's that's driving stuff. And again, I, I want to what, what we're talking about here, at least what I'm talking about. It, it's not you know arming yourself to be part of a citizen militia to to go to one of the, these areas and confront people who are protesting. But I, I mean, I think what's driving these gun sales are people who are are in their homes who are worried that gee that this this unrest this rioting this stuff might might come out and impact them in in their homes and they're turning to firearms you know for for at least a sense of of safety and again my, my first my, my first thing is if if you're not willing to learn how to use it don't get a gun that that's i mean for for a few years i've told the story before i was be back in another life i mean i carried a firearm as a special deputy u.s marshal i think is the title it was and I, I ended up but you had to train you had to practice you had to qualify you had to show that you knew how to use it and, and i think that that's the commitment that you have to make but i mean i do think what's going on now is you have people who are looking at this and who are saying you, you know i what what's going to happen if all of a sudden i get caught up in this and you have the, the violence that that's that, that's out there Gianni and Montello, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Uh, timely topic. Hey, um, I have a couple points that I want to make and a question uh, for you. But um, uh, clearly this is due to the, the urban um, uh, non-gun owner in, in, in the past that is, is now concerned about what's happening in Kenosha and the riots in Portland and Seattle and that. And I think they're just uh, like preppers. They're just, um, you know, reasonably concerned about what, um, what may be in the offing. But, Jeff, um, I, I want to ask you, um, something that concerns me a, a little bit is I understand that in Wisconsin you cannot use a handgun 
to protect property, only to protect, um, uh, you know, in self-defense and human life. And that 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 that's probably that's a good thing, I, I think. But I, I'm wondering if if people understand that that if someone tries to steal your car or break into your garage and steal your chainsaw or what, you you can't you can't use lethal force. To, yeah. to protect property. Am I, am I no, correct? You're, you're correct. I, I'm not a legal scholar. No, John, you're, I, I, you're, I, you're right. I mean, we, we don't have the, the, the castle doctrine here. I mean, we, you have to, in order to be able to use deadly force, you, you, you mean you, you have to, it, it's only if, if you are threatened with deadly force that that's that's it or or you have to have a and i don't want to get into all the details but to, to answer your question if somebody's breaking if if somebody's trying to steal a steal your car out of your driveway you you can't come out shooting that would be that that's just that that's the bottom line now if somebody's breaking into your house and it's three o'clock in the morning and you know you confront some burglar it might be a different story it's all fact specific but but no you you you, you can't shoot somebody you're not authorized to use deadly force because again, somebody's trying to steal your car, and and that's that's one of the things they go through all the different parameters, like in the concealed carry courses and things like that. But again, the the the, the bottom line of all this is that, that I, I think this is one of the things, and you can argue whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, but it, it just it's the reality that's out there. And I think here here is here is the lesson to civilian authorities. And it's a lesson that I think Governor Evers missed very badly a week or two ago. And that is that this, this, all right, I I think we would all support the right for protests and things like that. At the same time, there's a lot of people out there that are looking at this unrest. They're looking at what's been going on. There's been a hundred nights of protest in in Portland, many of which have devolved into riots. You've seen what's happened in downtown Madison, where just the the looting and the destruction on State Street. We've seen what's happened in Kenosha. And and this is the message to civilian authorities. And I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat or conservative or liberal or, or, or whatever. The bottom line is people want to be safe and we we expect that the police and that again civilian authorities and i'm talking about police departments and and if you want to throw in the national guard or whatever we expect that there is going to be order and we expect civilian authorities to be able to maintain order and when they they lose control when you you have the out of control rioters and this has nothing to do with the the legitimate protest and the merits of the social justice positions or whatever but when when you have that that segment of the quote unquote protesters who break off and and engage in in the property destruction and the rioting and the threat to human life and the arson people you know, people become concerned. They say, okay, what that could happen, what happened in Madison on straight State Street, that could happen to me. You know, what, what happened, I don't know, at the, the house in Wauwatosa where you had, you had the protesters that showed up to vandalize the house and then somebody shoots a shotgun through the door. That could conceivably happen here. And then people decide that they feel unsafe because civilian authorities have, at least the perception is perhaps lost control. That's why it is so very important, again, while respecting people's First Amendment rights to protest, to say, all right, we're, we're not going to let these protests get out of hand. We're not going to let them be co-opted by the people who are prone to violence. And, and yeah, we're, we're, you can count on us to maintain order. 
because when the perception gets out there that the authorities are unable to control order, then people get nervous, people get anxious, people get frustrated, people get scared, and then they decide, well, okay, maybe I need to take matters into my own hands, maybe I need to have a gun at the house in case the worst stuff happens. All the more reason why civilian authorities need to have an action plan to make sure that they keep things under control. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Still getting text. Jeff, Jeff, text. Jeff, all the gun stores in Kenosha are sold out. I'm not sure about Gander Mountain. Well, you again, you, you understand. You, you look at these pictures, you look at the destruction, and you understand why people are, are skeptical about whether or not you know, civilian authorities can control things. And I, I'm, again, I'm, I'm not advocating this, and I'm certainly not advocating the rise of civilian militias and things like that. But I, I do think it's an interesting commentary that people, when people become worried about, you know, are, am I going to be safe? Can, if I call the police, can they get there? Can they protect me in a, in a life or death situation? I, I think, you know, if they start to become skeptical of this, then what ends up happening is people decide, okay, we're, we're going to go get guns and we're going to be in a position to defend ourselves in case we're confronted with a life or death situation. And again, again, my, my comment is if you make a decision to do that, make sure you know how to use the firearm. Okay. I sent out another tweet about this story and I'm kind of curious to get your reaction to it. The, okay, the, the headline to the story is, University of Wisconsin Parkside student describes harrowing jail experience. UW Parkside student, and it gives a guest name, and a group of classmates had every intention of participating in a rally Wednesday night to support Jacob Blake, the 29-year-old man shot by Kenosha police. But the college students never got to their destination and instead quickly found themselves in a situation they didn't anticipate with law enforcement. Okay, what followed, according to the kid, was a long and difficult 24-plus hours while he waited for answers. Um, the kid, a, Gar- a Kenosha resident, recounted his ordeal. I'm now quoting from the story that appears in the Racine Journal Times. Recounted his ordeal that had him in custody for what he called a curfew violation and, quote, other possible charges. Curfew violation and other possible charges. The guy is a member of the Students for a Democratic Society, SDS, which were, and back in the 60s, SDS was one of these, these sort of, well, a, a student protest group that, while not as violent as <clears throat> some of the student protest groups, it was it was a protest group. His group was initially stopped by federal agents. They didn't announce themselves. They had guns drawn, everything like that. I was tackled to the ground. I had a gun in my face. Uh, we were swarmed by other cars. Apparently, you know what what happened is he and a bunch of his buddies decide that. They're going to go and they're going to participate in in the protests. So they had a curfew about 7 o'clock at night. So what happens is they decide that they're going to go to these protests and they show up after after the curfew. Um, they get arrested about 8.30 at night. And it's it's really sort of unclear as to why it was that they ended up getting uh, arrested. But they, they were, they're out, they're attending, or they're heading for the protest, and they're, they're going, and they're out after curfew. So they get arrested. He says, I felt it was important to strike while the iron was hot. So, you know, they decided that we were going to go and we we're going to participate in this protest. All right, 
my comment is, in Kenosha, authorities were very, very clear that there was going to be a 7 o'clock curfew. And, and even though, and again, I've got a, a link. I sent this story out on, on Twitter. My guess is that there's a lot more to the story than the guy is telling. My, my guess is that there was obviously something that he and his buddies did, which caught the attention of U.S. Marshals or Kenosha sheriffs or Kenosha police officers or whatever. So my guess is there's more to the story. But but regardless, what am I missing? If you don't want to get arrested for violating a curfew imposed after a riot, I've got some real simple thoughts. Namely, don't violate the curfew. I mean, it's like, oh, okay, me and my buddies, we decide that we want to go to this protest. So we're out after the curfew. And again, I I don't know yet what they did to attract the attention of law enforcement. I I would assume they weren't just kind of like walking down the street with their Bibles in their hand. My my guess is that there was something they did to attract the attention. But but regardless, you know, if, if you're if you don't want to get arrested, then then don't be out after the curfew. There was a reason why Kenosha officials imposed curfews, because they were trying to put a halt to the incredible violence that occurred for the first couple days after the police shooting a week ago Sunday. So all right, if, if you're going to be out wandering the streets, all right, you, you, you know, that's it. It's kind of like you broke it, you bought it. And he was whining. Well, I got arrested at eight thirty at night, and I, I I didn't get booked. And you know, I wasn't formally booked till eight o'clock the next morning. When again, the, the courthouse officially opened. And isn't this terrible? I spent the night in jail. Well, okay, yeah. Sorry, you spent the night in jail, pal. But maybe if you hadn't made the decision to go out after curfew and go to a place that they're trying their best to try to maintain order in, maybe you wouldn't have had that problem in the first place. So not necessarily sympathetic to this particular situation. You can check that story out if you follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. Here's a tweet, Jeff. I don't have any sympathy at all for the student who gets arrested. You get involved, you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. You can't tell me they don't understand the situation in, in Kenosha and the situation they put themselves in. You can't cry foul after the fact when you knowingly put yourself in a bad spot. Yeah, the kid is whining about, well, it, it, was, it, was, it was an unmarked car. I, I didn't know if I was being kidnapped by white supremacists. Yeah, well, okay, you probably should have gotten the idea that you weren't being kidnapped by white supremacists when they said police and they ended up, you know, like, like taking you down to the, the Kenosha jail. I mean, it's just like, for, for, for goodness sakes, I mean, it just if if you decide that you know you want to go out and you want to violate laws and you want to violate ordinances and you want to do stuff like that that that's fine recognize though that there are going to be consequences for that behavior and some of those consequences are that okay you know you when the police say all right we've got this curfew if you you show up and after we tell you to go home you don't go home you may be arrested all right if if you want to make the decision that you're going to stay out for for whatever okay we don't care about that we're going to do our thing okay fine but understand that there are going to be consequences to that and then 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 don't whine about it afterwards after all right gee i gee i got arrested and and boy me and a bunch of other people they they put us in cars and they took us to the jail and i had to spend the night in the jail well yeah yeah, that's that's what's going to happen when you decide that you're going to, when authorities say there's a 7 o'clock curfew, and you decide that you're, you're going to be out on the streets at 8 or 8.30. And again, I my guess is there's more to this story than's coming out yet. But, but regardless, 
They tell you there's a curfew. You violate the curfew. Don't be surprised when stuff, you know, ends up happening. Um, the Wisconsin Sports Awards, we were just talking about that, an event that honors and celebrates excellence in Wisconsin athletes and teams at all levels of competition from high school to pros. This year, the awards are up to you, the fans. Visit WisconsinSportsAwards.com to see the nominees and to cast your vote. Also, by voting, you could win tickets to next year's in-person event. Go to WisconsinSportsAwards.com and vote today. All right, when we come back... We're going to talk about another aspect of the story in Kenosha. The lawyer for Kyle Rittenhouse, he's the 17-year-old who was involved in the shootings of three people. The lawyer for Rittenhouse says he acted in self-defense. Are you buying what the lawyer is selling? We discuss. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. You know, we always say that you you get to have your own opinion, but you don't get your, your own facts. And see, a lot of times, it's interesting, I found this, especially when I first started doing the show, people would, you'd, every once in a while you get a call or you get a text and somebody would say, you, you, you've got your facts wrong. And I would always say, okay, well, what... What facts do I have wrong? And and then they start talking, and what you found out was it wasn't so much that they had a beef with the facts, it's that they didn't agree with my opinion, which which, which is, is fine. But, you know, it, it, because the facts are, in fact, the facts, you know, and that that's, that's what makes them facts. One of the things that's going on, though, is, and I think this has become more prevalent recently, is the fact that people, people's idea of what the facts are are just influenced so strongly by what their opinions are. And there, there's a classic example of that that is playing out in the aftermath of all the horrible stuff that's been going on in, in Kenosha. Kyle Rittenhouse, he is the the 17-year-old man who is now, they're, they're trying to extradite him from Illinois in connection with the, the shooting death of, of two people and shooting and severely injuring a third in Kenosha on Tuesday night. We, we all know the, the stories. Um, Rittenhouse... Um, part of a, a citizen's militia or declaring himself to be part of that. He, he's in Kenosha. He's got the AR-15 rifle, and he, he's wandering around. He's there for the purpose of, of protecting buildings, ostensibly. He ends up getting into confrontations with some of the, the protesters and ends up shooting two of the, shooting three of them and ended up killing two of them. Again, they're, they're, they're trying to extradite him back. The hearing is at the end of September. His lawyer, you know, over the weekend is, is going public. I'm, I'm looking at the story in USA Today and the Wall Street Journal about this. Lawyer representing Kyle Rittenhouse, the 17-year-old accused of shooting and killing two protesters on Saturday, characterized the teen as a, quote, Minuteman protecting his community, when the government would not, unrest sparked by the police shooting of Jacob Blake. More American men should fulfill their duty, Attorney John Price said on Twitter. He is a shining example of American fighting spirits. Uh, the lawyer goes on to say he did nothing wrong. He defended himself. All right. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, let me let me say this at the outset. I, I think under these circumstances, I think self-defense is going to be a, a tough defense. 
that's just my my assessment of this. But you know, we're still waiting. You know, more more facts, I guess, to emerge. But it's very clear the the pattern of of what happened. But but beyond the Rittenhouse case, you you have this this lawyer who's saying, okay, what what this this young man was doing was was noble. He's he's a minute man protecting his community when the government would not. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, in a previous segment, we, we talked about people that are buying firearms to keep around their house for because their, their safety is, they have concerns about their safety. All right, that's one thing. What we have here is is people, many of whom were from outside the area, that decided that in response to the protesters, they were going to take it upon themselves to go, in this case, into Kenosha, armed in many cases to the teeth, to defend or to stand in front of or to engage or to protect or whatever, property not belonging to them, because they perceived, perhaps correctly, that law enforcement had done a crummy job the first couple nights of stopping the arson and the looters. Our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I'm I'm sorry. Regardless of whether a self-defense claim is going to play in court later on, I, I don't see Kyle Rittenhouse as being a hero in, in any way, shape, or form. And, and this idea of a minute man protecting his community when the government would not—I'm sorry—I I don't want people. I don't want people like Kyle Rittenhouse taking it upon themselves to say, "Okay, we're going to do." We're going to do what we don't think the police are, so we're going to descend into a community, whether it's Portland or whether it's Seattle or whether it's Kenosha or whether it's Chicago. You know, we're, we're going to, we're going to go and, and we're going to do the job that we think law enforcement should be doing. I think it's dangerous. I think it's counterproductive. And I think it is a recipe for disaster. I think you have to allow the civilian authorities to do what they're supposed to do, which is maintain order. If they don't do it, all right, well, then I think you have accurate criticism, and, and that's what elections are for and things like this. And, again, we're not talking about, you know, somebody breaking into your home at 3 o'clock in the morning. You know, we're talking about people taking it upon themselves to, we're going to go into an area where there is unrest, in many cases an area that we are not from, and and we're going to stand our post or whatever. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What could possibly go wrong with with that? We discuss in just a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Here's a text. Jeff, Kyle. This would be Kyle Rittenhouse, the 17-year-old shooter from last Tuesday night. Kyle was ambushed. This is self-defense on all three counts. Um, kid with skateboard hit Kyle in the head. Then he was shot. Um, last person who was killed was had knocked Kyle. Was after Kyle had knocked been knocked to the ground. Again, this is self defense. If it was you and your wife walking out and you were attacked, you have the right to protect yourself and your wife. Kyle deserves an award for being a noble person. I I, I I'm sharing that tweet. For, first of all, this isn't my wife and I walking down a a, a street after after dinner. This is. Okay, 12 o'clock at night in the middle of, of a riot and, you know, people who have, have, again, somebody there who's there with the idea that we're going to uh, protect 
buildings that don't belong to us and we're going to be in the middle of the crowd again but i i, I don't i don't want to discuss the merits of self-defense I, I stand by what i said i think that's going to be a tough sell as as all the facts emerge but the, the court system will work out that i, I want to talk about the, this broader picture though of this idea that you know civilian militias think that they should again parachute into these communities that aren't there and and set themselves up as okay we're we're going to fill the role that we don't think law enforcement is is filling we're going to stand there with our guns and and then we're going to engage to me that is a recipe for disaster it's also a reason why civilian authorities can't allow stuff to get out of control but I, i'm sorry i just I, I don't want the Kyle Rittenhouses of the world deciding that they're going to come into communities and they're going to set themselves up as as quasi police officers, Robert uh, in Butler. Robert, you're on WTMJ. I'm sorry, yeah. Robert in Racine. Hi, Robert. I strongly agree with you, 110. Um, this individual created his own demise. Um, he brought in a, a weapon into a situation that was already volatile. Um, you know, regardless whether they were may have been getting out of hand, um, he didn't make the situation any easier. And again, you know, he took the law into his own hands, um, and these individuals saw him carrying a rifle. Now, my question is, how would the authorities would have reacted had he shot a deputy or, uh, you know, one of these, uh, you know, uh, guards that were there uh, to protect the town? Would it be the same? You know, would they look at him as being some sort of a Minuteman hero? Um, I'm, I'm totally against the fact that, you know, he brought a weapon to a situation that, was already, you know, in chaos, and it doesn't. Right, two wrongs don't make right. Yeah, I mean, um, right. I mean, th- thanks. For, and see, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. And, I, and look, it, it's, it's one thing if we were talking about a situation where you have some protester that some rioter, some looter that's, you know, racing at you, getting ready to throw a Molotov cocktail into your house. That that's one thing, but that's not what this is. I guess I, I'm just saying, and I, I'm a law and order guy. And I've been very, very critical of the response of some civilian authorities to their their inability to control some of the protesters and some of these decisions that we've made over the course of the last couple months to essentially look the other way when when criminal behavior was going on. But but at the same time, I I just I I don't think we can turn into heroes the people who respond the the other way and say, okay, we're going to set ourselves up and and we're going to fill the role of law enforcement and we're going to come into these communities and and we're going to brandish the weapons and you know we're going to look for the confrontations that that are out there that's that leads to what happened last week and and can't we all agree that that that's not a that that's not a good thing that we we don't want civilians shooting other civilians and then getting into an issue like this. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, I, I say that regardless of whether or not there, there's a, a self-defense claim or something that, that's out there, I think it's going to be a tough sell under the circumstances. But but it, it's it's the notion that, you know, we need these private parties to come in, to parachute into a community and say, okay, we're we're now going to establish ourselves as being, you know, the, the law and order. And and people are giving me references and say, well, th- think about the American Revolution. Okay, this isn't 1776. It, it's it's 2020. Let's talk to Scott in New Berlin. Um, Scott, you're in the, I'm sorry, Mark in Germantown. Mark, good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, um, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm definitely, I'm not happy with either side of how everyone's re- overreacting. 
Um, and it definitely doesn't help when people do come into our community, um, such as the matter that Kyle did. Um, one thing with his defenses, and, and I'd like to get your take on it since you're an ex-prosecutor, um, you know, he is a minor coming into our community, uh, crossing straight state lines with uh, an, an assault rifle. Uh, that right, right there alone kind of says a lot about his intentions, um, in my opinion. I mean, I suppose maybe he didn't wake up that morning and says, oh, I'm going to start shooting people. But nonetheless, you are a minor. And, and like you said, we aren't fighting the British anymore. We don't need militia. If, um, if local authorities fail to act, then we deal with that after the fact. We, we can't have people arming themselves and coming in and, and taking over the role of the police. Uh, I think there is, there is some issue as to whether he brought the whether he brought the rifle with him from his home across state lines or whether that was a, a gun that somebody else owned. I, I don't know that. So it might have been they didn't travel in, in interstate commerce with that. And of course, in Wisconsin, if if you commit first degree intentional homicide at 17, you are treated as an adult. I, I guess the, the but but to your point. Do, do we want civilian militias? Okay, um, so somebody sends me a text. What are you supposed to do when your town is being burned and the police are outnumbered? Well, okay, what you do is you, first of all, it's not your town. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's that's like saying, okay, there, there's unrest going on in Madison, so me and some of my buddies are going to dress in camouflage and we're going to lock and load and we're going to drive out to Madison and we're going to pick a convenience store to, po- to post ourselves in front of. Okay, that, it's not like it's, it's your home or your business. You're, you're coming into town and just like, and this is where I think you got to be consistent with this, just like... A lot of the, the people responsible for the anarchy, for the for the the, the looting, the burning, etc., were people from out of town who came into Kenosha to decide that they were going to use Kenosha. They could care less about Kenosha. My argument is that some of these anarchists and stuff, they could care less about the underlying thing. They were there to cause trouble. And just like I think it's wrong and improper for people from out of state to come in from that, I mean, here, I I don't want people from Kentucky, or I don't want people from Chicago or Antioch, Illinois, or wherever deciding, okay, we're going to come into, in this case, Kenosha, and, and we're going to do what we think law enforcement should not you know is not already doing it's just it is a recipe for disaster because what ends up happening is the whole thing escalates which you know to the point the last caller was making you know it takes nothing away from the fact that i think it's very legitimate to be critical of law enforcement and by that i mean you know starting at the top and working on way its way down for for not not making arrests, not getting control of the situation the first couple nights, making, like we saw in, in Madison, very bad decisions where they decided we're, we're not going to engage, we're going to allow people to just loot and to burn and to destroy stuff. Okay, that, that's a bad decision, but that doesn't mean that you need outside agencies taking it upon themselves to decide that we're going to come in and we're, we're going to make this right. Back with more calls in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. Let's talk to Chuck in Plymouth. Chuck, good afternoon. You're on WTMJ. Okay, let's try Randy and Racine. Randy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. This is my name. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry. I lost both those calls. We let 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Scott in New Berlin. Scott, good afternoon. 
Yeah, thank you. I agree that uh, I don't understand what kind of defense they'll have for him. And I just think the support is, you know, you can always look back to history. You know, we can look at Ronald Reagan talking about the 11th commandment. If they're, you know, basically don't say ill about Republicans. And that just, you know, kind of expanded to conservatives. If it's a conservative on your side, we're not going to say anything bad. We're going to protect them uh, regardless. And uh, I think that's kind of where we're at with too many of our things, too much in our politics. If it's our side, we will yeah. accept behavior from our side. We would never accept from the other side. Yeah. Uh, if, you know, if Democrats drew the maps in Wisconsin, uh, conservatives would be all ready for new drop, for fair maps and for independence on our congressional districts. But they're winning right now. You know, they could win with a minority of votes and control the legislature. So it's their side. Well, it, you, and, know, you know, yeah, Scott, thank you. You make a really interesting point. And, and let's talk about the bigger picture. Uh, imagine let's say let's say the situation is reversed. And let's say that I don't know, there were a, a group of of conservative activists who were, I don't know, protesting something that went on in, in Kenosha. And a, a spinoff of those protesters decided that they are so upset that they're going to start looting and burning, et cetera, et cetera. Well, you, you know that, that the people on the left would be appropriately so uh, out, outraged about that. And let's say if in response to that, that looting and burning, what you had is a, a self-proclaimed, I don't, I don't know, um, or organization, you know, you know, students for a Democrat, they, they resurrect the old weathermen from the, the 60s. And, and these people show up with, with rifles and they start uh, again to protect the buildings that are being, you know, damaged by the conservative rioters. Okay. The, the, you know, we, we'd have, you know, I don't know, the, the people that are, that are now like defending the militia, well, they'd be outraged. And the people that are defending the protesters, and then you switch the facts around and, and they'd be outraged. The, the, the bottom line is, and that's kind of where I was leading up to. You, you, you've got the facts. Okay, so the, the, the facts here are that you have a, at least a number of people who were engaging. New York Times, they sent out a tweet about this. You can follow me at Jeff Wagner 620. They, they described what happened in, in Kenosha as a heated street protest. I don't even know what the hell that means, a heated street protest. It was a riot. But, of course, you got the mainstream media that can't identify this stuff as a riot because, uh, again, they, they don't want to give any indication that some of the people that were involved in the social justice protests were were engaging in looting and rioting and things of the like. So they can't even call a riot a, a riot. So you, you have... You have that. We, we can't condemn that bad behavior. And then that leads to the other bad behavior. I'm sorry. It's just not a good situation for armed people to, you know, to, to show up and then, you know, in, engage people, even if those people are engaging in criminal activity themselves. You've got to leave it for law enforcement because otherwise you have anarchy and you have, again, examples of what happened in Kenosha. And I would like to think that all of us could agree that we don't want to see repeats of that, whether it's in Kenosha or in Madison or in Seattle or in Portland or in Chicago or anywhere. 